This is Podcast 27. The Quest, the book God breathed, frequently asked questions. It is the third in a series of four podcasts, uh, each dealing with uh, questions regarding the authenticity or reliability or validity of the New Testament scriptures. The question before us here is, what can be said about the dates for the composition of the New Testament, and what does it matter? When the New Testament was written, is a significant issue for many who see it as impacting the historical accuracy of the Bible. Non-confessing scholars believe that the later the date they can claim for the writing of the New Testament, the more it strengthens their argument that Christianity is the result of a long, slow developmental process. The original autographs or manuscripts of the New Testament were not written, they argue, until very late in the first century or early to mid-second century, after undergoing many editorial changes along the way. The Gospels in particular, it is argued, are stories and sayings various writers and groups made up after the apostolic era, after the time of the apostles, to serve their own agendas, their own purposes, and to answer questions for themselves. So what is the man or woman of faith to make of this? Dating the four Gospels and other books of the New Testament is difficult for a number of reasons. The Jewish, Macedonian, and Roman calendars all began at different times of the year. When dealing with the intervals of time, whether a day or a year, it's difficult to determine frequently whether the interval is inclusive the whole day or year, or whether it is exclusive, a part of the day or year. Also, dates are frequently designated not by the calendar, but by the time someone ruled or reigned. It is therefore commonly understood that, that dates for ancient historical events may, uh, even when, when uh, given specifically, may be a, a year or two off either way. Occasionally, but not as often as we would like, it is possible to coordinate biblical events with the dates of established secular events, with, with historical dates. For example, in 2 Corinthians 11.32, Paul provides this solid time reference. He writes, In, da in Damascus, the governor under King uh, Artus had the city guarded in order to arrest me. It is known that King Artus died in 40 CE. This would mean Paul's conversion adventure on the road and in the city of Damascus occurred sometime prior to 40 CE at the very latest. Most scholars believe Paul's conversion and time in Damascus 
actually took place much earlier, probably within oh, no more than one or two years after Jesus's crucifixion, so in 33 or 34 CE. In Acts 18, 11 through 12, there's another incident which, when coupled with an inscription discovered by archaeologists in 1905, helps establish the chronology of Paul's work and writing. This text in the Acts of the Apostles reads, And Paul was in the city of Corinth for 18 months, teaching the word of God among them. But while Gallio was governor of the province of Achaia, the Jews rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. In 1905, nine fragments of a stone were found at the ancient Greek city of Delphi and put together by a team of international archaeologists. The inscription on the stone was from the Roman emperor Claudius to Galileo, who was proconsul of the region or province of Achaia in which the city of Corinth was located. The inscription itself is an order for Galileo to find a way of repopulating the city of Delphi, which had fallen on hard times. The emperor, Claudius, declares in this inscription that this is the twelfth year since his ascension to the throne. Since it is known from other sources that his ascension was January 25th, 41 CE, we also know that his twelfth year, the year of the inscription, covered January 25th, 52 CE to January 24th, 53 CE. This means Galileo was serving as proconsul between January 25, 52 CE and January 24, 53 CE. This then fixes Paul's 18 months in Corinth, noted in Acts 18, as between January 50, January 50 CE and July 51 CE. With this bit of hard uh, data, scholars like John A.T. Robinson uh, proceed using uh, other chronological data provided in Acts of the Apostles and in Paul's letters, uh, such as um, Galatians, uh, as well as uh, material found in the historian uh, Josephus, to construct a chronology of Paul's life and of his letters. Robinson ends his chronology with Paul's imprisonment in Rome and the writing of 2 Timothy around 59 to 62 CE. However, many scholars believe that Paul was acquitted and released from prison, that he then traveled through Spain, establishing Christian communities, but was rearrested and imprisoned a harsher second time. Either way, the tradition and consensus are that Paul was beheaded by Nero after um, uh, the, the uh, Great Fire, uh, or shortly after the Great Fire of Rome in 64 CE.
But this is by no means certain. It is possible to give the brutal conditions, given the brutal conditions of first century prisons, that Paul died sick and alone before that in his cell. So sometime between, uh, say, uh, uh, 62 and 64. But the bottom line is that all of Paul's epistles were completed before his death, which, at the latest, was in 64 CE. As noted in one of my earlier podcasts, I believe this includes the pastoral letters as well as the epistle to the Ephesians. This leads to another logical conclusion. Luke's Acts of the Apostles is, according to Acts 1, 1 through 7, the sequel to the gospel according to Luke. Acts ends with Paul waiting for trial, but living in Rome in his own rented house. This would indicate that Acts was completed between 62 and 64, as we say, and prior to Paul's death. If, as most scholars scholars think, Matthew and Mark are earlier than Luke, all three of the Synoptic Gospels must have been written before 64 CE. Now, there is no date more certain or more filled with sorrow for Jews than the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in 70 CE. For the ancient Jews, the temple was the place more than anywhere else on earth where God's presence was to be felt and known and cherished. Their cultural, political, economic, social, and spiritual life was all bound up with the temple. Their very identity was stamped by the temple as a sacred place. The earliest Christians, like Jesus, were Jewish. And while being Christian meant that Christ was now their center, they steadfastly retained their Jewish identity. It is impossible to read the New Testament from beginning to end without being aware of just how steeped in Judaism it is. My point is simply that for the Christians of this early period, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple was, as it was for all Jews, both within and outside Israel, a cataclysmic event of unimaginable proportions. It is, therefore, exceedingly strange that not a single book of the New Testament records this historic shaking of the foundations. Isaiah 13.13 It is depicted on the Ark of of, uh, Titus constructed in Rome, 81 CE. It is there 
in the early rabbinic literature telling of the Jewish revolt and fall of Jerusalem. It is there in considerable detail in the work of Jewish uh, of the Jewish historian Josephus, 92 through 94 CE. It is there in the Roman historian Suetonius's uh, biographies of 12 Roman emperors, 121 CE. It is there in the 3rd century historian Philostratus' Life of Apollonius, 170 CE. And it is there in Eusebius of Caesarea, uh, around 290 CE. But it is not there in the New Testament anywhere. The simplest and most obvious conclusion is that the entire New Testament must have been written before 70 CE. Now, I'm certainly aware of the counter-argument to this, namely uh, that it is actually mentioned in the Gospels, that it is mentioned indirectly as an ambiguous prophecy of Jesus. Uh, you can uh, you can read that in Mark three one through four, uh, Matthew three two through three, Luke twenty one five through twenty four. So Mark writes, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, "Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings." Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. The assumption of the secular, non-confessing scholar is that since there is no such thing as the supernatural, there is no such thing as prophecy. Jesus, therefore, could not have predicted the destruction of, Jews, of Jerusalem uh, or of the temple, leaving as the only possibility that his words were written sometime well after the fact. I'm not going to debate here either the possibility or impossibility of, uh, of, of uh, prophecy or the reality or unreality of the supernatural. But without getting overly complicated, there are a couple of responses that uh, should be made and that are easily made. First, I'm going to argue that one need not believe in anything supernatural at all to believe Jesus could very well have predicted the devastation of um, of the of the of Jerusalem and the fall the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in 70 CE it is known for a fact that a person by the name of Jesus son of Ananias went around Jerusalem in 62 CE, prophesying the city's destruction, prophesying 
the city's destruction some eight years before the event. The Jewish authorities handed, handed him over to the Romans, who then tortured him to make sure that they got, in the words of um, Dick Cheney, accurate and actionable information. However, they concluded he was a madman and released him. No one today believes he had any supernatural power, but neither does anyone doubt that he predicted the fall of Jerusalem before it occurred. Uh, since before the time of of uh, of Jesus, uh, given the the political and the social climate and the uh, the the uh, rebellion that was uh, f uh, fermenting, uh, it was easily predictable that there was going to be a rebellion that might result in the destruction, in the awful destruction of the Jewish people. Between the invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq, I wrote an article for the mag magazine Episcopal Life in which I predicted America would lose the Afghan war. When America pulled out in disarray 20 years later and the Taliban reasserted its authority, no one was at all amazed by my prediction and no one called me a prophet. There is nothing at all astonishing then about Jesus' prediction that demands it be explained away as pointing to a later composition date from Matthew, Mark, or Luke. What is amazing is that the New Testament nowhere speaks with any specificity, with any concreteness, with any directness or detail of the Jewish revolt of 66 through 70 or the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple as past events, but only as cryptic predictions. If the proponents of late dating are correct, then it seems to me that the authors of those New Testament books supposedly written after 70, some of it is claimed as late as 160, missed a great marketing opportunity. It would have made perfect sense for them to have said in explicit language, look, the Lord prophesied the destruction of the temple, and it happened just as he said it would. My second response is to the notion that Jesus' prediction of the destruction of the temple uh, uh, indicates a late date for the Gospels is simply that many literary scholars, even if they subscribe to a late dating, believe the original question of the disciples in, the, uh, in Mark, for example, is never answered. And the lack of connection between the disciples' questions question and Jesus's answer indicates that the text was not written retrospectively. My third response is to note that not only 
Jesus' prediction or prophecy lacks sufficient detail. But at times, the detail given does not fit events as they actually happened. Now, I will not go into what I believe is the more accurate interpretation of the relevant text here. But I will point out that in Luke, the disciples are told, when you see the abomination of desolation, then, uh, then the people, those in Jerusalem, must flee to the hills. This cannot, as often claimed, refer to the desecration of the temple by Titus's soldiers, because by that time it was too late for anyone to flee to the hills. Not only this, but we also know that before the war broke out, and before the city was under siege, Christians, believing they were acting on Jesus' prophecy, fled not to the hills, but to Pella in the Decapolis, which is actually below sea level. So then, uh, the details uh, that are given, uh, uh, vague as they are, uh, are not what we would expect had uh, those texts been written at a later date when all the details were known and, um, and could have been uh, stated with more precision. 